0: Welcome to the cybersecurity readiness podcast series with Dr. Dave Chatterjee. Dr. Chatterjee is the author of cybersecurity readiness, a holistic and high performance approach. He has been studying cybersecurity for over a decade, authored and edited scholarly papers, delivered talks, conducted webinars, consulted with companies, and served on a cybersecurity SWAT team with chief information security officers. Dr. Chatterjee is an Associate Professor of Management Information Systems at the Terry College of Business, the University of Georgia, and Visiting Professor at Duke University's Pratt School of Engineering.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm delighted to welcome you to this episode of the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series. Today, I will be talking with Alan Mihalik, Founder and President IOT Security Institute. Alan, welcome. It's great to have you as a guest. Thanks for making time to share your thoughts and perspectives with the listeners. So let's get started uh, with you sharing with the listeners uh, a bit about your cybersecurity journey.
2: Well, firstly, thank you, Dave, for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, My journey is a long one. Um, It started off... uh, very much in a technical realm um, working with security security services that evolved over time into architecture uh, governance risk management Uh, subsequently it moved into advisory services um, and that's spanned a period of over 20 years now um, of late um, relatively i suppose Um, you know the emergence of smart technologies and um smart cyber uh, has drawn me into that area because it's of, uh, firstly, it's a uh, particular interest. And uh, secondly, it is certainly the, uh, the challenges of the future. And uh, as many cyber professionals will state that um, the future is uh,
1: far more interesting than the past. Mm-hmm. True, very true. And in fact, uh, when we were discussing about this podcast, and we are talking about securing the smart supply chain and you were talking about your uh, iot security institute uh, the internet of things security institute uh, it uh, it kind of uh, brought to mind the the reality that we face today where you know the more digitized we get the more smarter we get so to speak the more vulnerable we are while these smart devices offer many benefits and capabilities. They are known to have weaker security protections. They're often not easily patchable or updatable. So there are lots of challenges um, in front of us. Um, you know, how would you uh, define or describe the challenges of smart supply chains?
2: Well. Uh, i think uh, firstly we can we just look at iot and devices at first um Mm -hmm. as part of that overall um, picture i think that it's not just a technological change but but it's a societal change and you know uh, the emergence of um, iot has affected urban planning engineering as much as it's impacted network computing services and traditional services delivery i mean effectively IOT is at the core of our smart cities we live in, the smart buildings we occupy, and even even the smart bodies we inhabit. And as a result, the the sheer number of these devices and the increasing dependency upon these devices to function in an expected manner, especially in critical uh, environments. Um, bring forward a a scenario where the ramifications of failure or compromise are are incredibly significant. We cannot afford to be complacent when it comes to this type of security, particular IoT security. So the interesting thing that that can effectively be looked upon as a somewhat technology restraint, but this shift has also caused a great deal of um, change in the way we just view security and and national security in a way that perhaps we never have before and and i'd just like to extrapolate extrapolate upon that a little bit um the notion of protecting a nation or protecting our critical assets is generally being thought of as as a government responsibility now from a military perspective if our nation is at threat we have an army we have an air force we have a navy and the government is is tasked with making sure that that meets the um the the challenges ahead and the potential adversaries that um, may threaten our our existence, to to, to put it that way. This technology, it needs to be understood, and many are are coming to it now, is that it has defined um, security and national security not simply or can no longer be a government responsibility. And you're seeing that in the changes in the way that... Um, The legislation is produced, the way um, we approach the whole notion of of being a secure society. Now, let me give you an example. Governments have been briefed and are well aware now that they cannot, as as previously mentioned, uh, secure us. They need to rely on both the public and the private sector. So cybersecurity has been given a responsibility now, and corporations and institutions have got a responsibility And governments are driving this now very strongly to ensure that they meet, as you mentioned, those security challenges that are emerging out of the IoT or in a bigger picture, smart technologies. So to protect a a smart grid or or water supply or things of that nature, the government can't just do it. The government relies on the community and and corporations to ensure they do their part. Now that ostensibly may seem, uh, a very logical thing and, and it certainly is but from a from a practical from a deployment from a, an accountability perspective it it is a seismic shift in the way we look at security so we may come in and say well, IoT devices but when we look at how the, they're deployed and, and the sheer number of them and the omnipresent nature it becomes quite a challenge. So we can see that the conversation can be can be had at multiple tiers with a, with similar um Considerations.
1: Absolutely. In fact, uh, you know, it is really uh, you need to take a holistic approach, a people, process and technology approach. You need to involve the various stakeholders. Uh, Like you said, government alone is incapable of securing the critical infrastructure. The partnership with the private sector is essential. Uh, I have to mention uh, in the context of this discussion in March of 2018, my city of Atlanta suffered one of the largest and most expensive ransomware attacks, costing upwards of $17 million. The the city and its services came literally to a standstill. Um, You know, all the automated operations were kind of crippled. Everything had to be handled by paper. Uh, in-person payment of water bills, renewals of business lines, uh, licenses, payment of parking tickets. You know, everything got affected. And, and that's just, a, well, I don't want to use the word just, but that's an example of a city getting breached. Now think about our nuclear infrastructure. Think about, like you mentioned, the water systems, uh, the natural gas resources we are deploying smart technologies everywhere to enhance efficiency enhance effectiveness but along you know while we do that unless we are extremely security conscious it's going to be it, it is a huge challenge it's not easy to handle in fact uh, you mentioned during our prior discussion about the security by design approach and that really appeals to me. I'd love for you to expand on that
2: for our listeners. Okay. Well, um, security by design is, is effectively ensuring that cyber security and principles of uh, privacy are included in all, all stages of the um, designed, build, run process. Now, um, we, that means that security is not factored in after a a building or a city solution has been implemented but it's very much part of the entire process and because um, urban urban planning and engineering is such a complicated area be it both at the physical and at the in virtual aspects um, it's paramount that, that these checks and balances are, are maintained through the process and we can take that as simply as saying that you know, again coming back to the to the idea of, of ot devices um, ensuring that they're appropriately um, sourced for their purpose um, uh, not simply as a case of um, a, uh, a beneficial price point um, equally um, these standards need to ensure that um, that the privacy of the of the community and of the individual is protected now you can you can take that out from a device to to the philosophy of the city. You can take that out to the to the risk appetite of, of the community. And so security by design means to factor in the the considerations that you would when assessing the risk profile, the security controls required to protect a given asset. Now I'd like to sort of take it a little bit further than that. Now we, we often, you know. For those of us that have been around long enough and have always defined security as securing an asset, and that asset has often taken a, a physical form. But just on the previous point, that, after, that security design by design can be taken to investment, can be taken to um, a community's state, state of self. Now, let me give you an example. Um, you know, we, we look at the stock market and we look at the, the, the stability of institutions to be able to provide a service that that has a return on investment. Now, if we look at that in this context, um, communities, uh, cities have uh, a responsibility to ensure that they can provide all of the services required for a day-to-day operation. from a business perspective, you were talking about bringing down the, the services in, in Atlanta. Now, look at the look at the investment. If we look at that moving forward, look at the investment implications and, and, and the associated uh, risk associated with doing business as we evolve into a smarter and smarter world. I mean, would you invest into an organisation or a city that has such a potential bad record? You would have to consider that. You would have to say, well, What's their infrastructure like? What what happens if it all falls over? And when we speak about the energy sector, we know that minutes is millions. We're not talking about small sums of money. Additionally, from a society point of view, from, from the welfare or mental health of their citizens, as we ask them more and more to be participants into this smart world, we have to understand that people, by their nature, require stability and security to function properly. Now, if we live in a society that... That, that has these disruptions, that there is also an, a, a flow-on effect to the community. And just may I finish off that point by saying that often these concerns are difficult to communicate across the table, especially at, at this time in the story. In the future, obviously, it will become easier as it becomes more prevalent. But the, the argument for smart technology, we know the benefits, we know what can be done, and we know the, the potential that it has. But from a bus- if I may just wear a business hat for a moment, as cyber professionals, we need to ensure that it's not the technology alone that needs to be positioned, but we have to understand the core of what makes a successful implementation. And one of those, of course, is return on investment. Now, businesses, communities, government all look at return on investment. We provide a service as we get a return on our investment and we we decide whether that is of a positive or negative nature no more is that um applicable to the smart technology sector in other words the underpinning success story of any smart technology implementation is the trust model we can stand up a server if it gets knocked over we can stand up a, a power plant if it gets knocked over But when the trust of the community is knocked over and and because of its by its very nature smart technologies require the participation and the engagement of a broad number of people across an array of areas if trust is lost that somewhat comes back to my original point about the psychology of of of, of communities then that's a very hard thing to get back, Dave. It's very hard to ask someone to provide all the privacy information, all of the access to things that that can be aggregated and circulated when that's abused. Um, And that's becoming another very critical area. So once again, um, a point for consideration.
1: Absolutely, in fact, uh, your your points are very well made. Security has to be etched, not only in the organizational DNA, but also in the, the human mindset. Uh, it might sound a little odd, but that's the environment we live in because every step we take, uh, whether in the capacity of a professional or in our personal capacity, uh, the security implications have to be considered. And I'm trying to keep it at a level that everybody can relate to. I can get a little more technical if I wanted to, but I don't want it at this time. But, uh, but yes, at a high level, uh, literally every aspect of our life, professional, par- personal, are getting affected. And it's a very, very difficult, formidable challenge to get everyone to do their part. You know, I've been saying this for a long time that cybersecurity is everybody's business. We can have the best of cybersecurity professionals. We can have a great design in place. We can even implement um, um, as per plan, but to be able to sustain it, to achieve uh, uh, almost like uh, a high uh, level of uh, precision and you know to make it as fail-proof as possible, many many things have to come together, and that makes it a formidable challenge. While I think of challenges, one thing that comes to mind is. Vendor selection, vendor management. I've learned that uh, the IoT vendors don't have a great reputation of providing very robust devices. Uh, Once they have sold something, they kind of would like to walk away from it. Given the proliferation of the devices, the fact that we will be using such devices more and more, what are your thoughts and recommendations on vendor selection and vendor management in the context of IoT devices?
2: Yes, of course. Well, I mean, from the outset, it's effectively a case of buyer beware. And as the, as the, uh, as the evolution of these devices has, has moved forward, people are becoming more aware. And some of the key areas, of course, as I touched on previously, was to understand that it's not about price point. Um, you know, we are talking, so naturally it's a consideration. We, we're talking about thousands of devices here, millions of devices, and it's not difficult to understand that the, the procurement department when it sees orders and sees what the, the associated costs may be. They certainly, there's a push there, to, you know, let's buy cheap. It's effective, let's buy cheap. But we've quickly understood that, the first thing we need to understand, as I, as I mentioned, is that that IoT device has to fit, be fit for purpose. It needs to be able to maintain a baseline security that is um, in accordance with the data that it's collecting, uh, aggregating, filtering, analysing, et cetera. It cannot simply be a, a, let's call it a dumb device for any, for want of a better word, that has no inherent security controls because, you know, there's that old... Um, you could spend an awful lot of money on security controls, but be undermined and undone by a ten-dollar IoT device. You know, there's the old, you know, there's the old story about you know the goldfish bowl, you know, water temperature sensor in the casino where they brought down the casino through that. And that's a, you know, it's, it's it's been overly used and obviously over, overly uh, referenced, but it's 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 applicable. And so I think that to your question, what needs to be done is that organisations, government need to provide Assessments and checklists to ensure that the purchasing process is aligned to what the product will be exposed to and the and the risk associated to that um, to that product, and that can be driven by a, as I said, buyer beware, where we have you know, better educated um, people that can make those decisions, that can put in the appropriate standards and checklists that ensure that. This is what we need, and that step one will have to be a compliance governance model against these devices. You cannot simply go out and procure something because you think it's the best product. We need to take that GRC component into, into effect. Equally, governments are now around the world starting to look at actually mandating that you know that that has to for a particular organization to to, to procure a, a particular device for a particular purpose needs to adhere to this. Mandated standards, so that's they're, they're the positive things that need to be done. And and, and you know, I was um, a few weeks back on a, a bit of a, a bit of a panel, and even looking at the potential of uh, labelling requirements for products, both in the let's say business sector, and but also in the privacy sector. Uh, sorry, in the in, in the in the public community sector, whereby, um, and it's a challenge. You know, we won't go into that detail because the time isn't necessarily here to have that break that down. But but effectively it's a communication education tool that enables people to make informed decisions on what they are buying. Um, now, if we take that into the home, for a moment, you go off, Dave, and to the local store and you want to buy a device, you can read on the side of the box, this has been rated A B C and, and it costs $29.95. The other one hasn't been rated ABC and it costs 1095. You are then put in a position to say, well, what does that mean? To my family, to myself, to my privacy. What does it to us? What does it mean to us? So that's another aspect that potential labelling could could be a way, and that labelling could be um, interpreted within a business context in another way. But to to round off your question, it's effectively self knowledge, corporate knowledge, standards and legislation that ensure that we don't always buy cheap because it's um it's an easier decision to make.
1: To add to that, uh, we have to have a rigorous selection and evaluation process. In my book, um, I talk about the commitment, preparedness, and discipline framework of creating a high performance information security culture. And one of the themes of that framework, or the framework speaks to creating this culture where every step that an organization takes, And in this context, the one that comes to mind um, is is developing the business case for buying anything. Um, And and business case, as you know, has several evaluation criteria and security has to feature very prominently. Whoever is sponsoring a particular purchase needs to clearly uh, articulate which devices are being bought from who, why what steps have been taken to uh, review to validate so it has to be a very comprehensive process it has to be institutionalized so it's as fail-proof as possible well yes and,
2: uh, yeah. sorry and i think to, to take that a point further that that is a business case um that needs to consider as i said the, the trust models underpinning the return on investment it's pointless being a a medical clinic that that can, having enormous um, service benefit, health service benefits in adopting this technology and equally uh, it reduces or will be more cost efficient. But at the cost of losing the trust and and, and breaching the law, then the business case for for the selection process of, of vendors, et cetera, takes a different turn. Equally, equally, and I think this is one point that I tend to, Uh, really focus on is that there is a community expectation in all of this. When you work for company A and you sign your paperwork saying I adhere to employment policies and so forth, there's an HR department. There, 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 There are aspects that protect you as an individual, not just as an employee. Equally, these technologies that are out there in the community to be absorbed and utilized by the community has an underlying community expectation as to what they do and how they do it. And we need to assume, well, I don't think even assume, that we, like most of us, we, we don't really know how the traffic system works. And, you know, red lights come tell us to stop and green lights tell us to go. But behind all of that, there is a great deal of due diligence around that particular service. You know, and we have a community expectation that when one light turns red, the other one turns green. And, 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 you know, and and I said previously, the assumption is, well, that most people don't know how all of that works. And equally, what we're proposing here with smart technologies, we have to appreciate that the majority of people perhaps don't know how it all works. The same way I don't know how the transmission works in my car. I just assume that somebody does. And and I think that that's part of our business case. And that's part of our community obligations as we move forward. And, you know, this is a heady time. There's a lot of money to be made. There's a lot of benefits to be had. And it's a bit like a new frontier. You know, we want to rush out there and get a plot of land, you know, and put our stake in it. You know, and and, and I think that we need to be very
1: mindful of that. Absolutely. Just imagine we go out there and we buy these smart devices to install at our homes. We get excited about the product. We get excited about the benefits. But are we also thinking about the security aspects, the security implications? That level of awareness, I don't believe, is there. And you know, it's not even a fair expectation that it should be there. And that's where the education has to be more widespread. You know, I'm big on making cybersecurity part of the core curriculum. So, you know, anybody who's graduating from college with an undergraduate degree at least had had one course on security, because you want to change the mindset, you want to ensure people are constantly thinking about the security implications, because if that's not happening, and if people still are a very important part of the process, we are unlikely to achieve the due diligence that you talk about. Uh, Because it, it has to, it has to feature not only in the mindset of the senior leadership, but Across all levels um, of the organizational hierarchy, and may so, I and may I add, sorry, please, just quickly I, on that point, which is extremely relevant,
2: I would extend that education out to the executives, to board executives. You and I have grown up uh, in a time when uh, we both heard the words, "Well, you know, that's that's the chief executive for this, and they don't know anything about technology, or that's not their problem." Well. Um, I don't think that it's no, no longer a sustainable argument. Um, they certainly understand how e-commerce works. They certainly how uh, their supply chain works, how transport and logistics work, although they may not be truck drivers. Um, I think it's a, it's a poor excuse, and I think it's it's imperative that cybersecurity courses at the appropriate level, be it business risk, be it assigned, um, risk exposures and conducted in a way that's applicable to the audience of course but it needs to be brought to the to the board level to the executive level um that argument of well i don't know much much about security that's not my area i don't think that floats anymore i mean you know that they aren't you know executives need to understand you know price to market ratios they need to understand the share market they need to understand you know the 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 aspects of business administration i think cybersecurity and and it's obviously it's Financial and uh, regulatory and other requirements it, it, it again puts it clearly a a module on the uh, on the curriculum. I would say, albeit a small one, but it uh, certainly I think has a, has a place.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, many years ago, then I was having this discussion with the with the senior executive of a large organisation who said, "Dave, I don't have time for cybersecurity. I have to run a million dollar operation." Um, I, that's security has to be handled by the department. And so I told him, I said, you know, I get it that it's, you don't have to be, that doesn't have to be your focus, but you have to provide the support, provide the commitment because at the end of the day, um, if that security fails, the implications can be severe. Now, if I were to have the same conversation with him today, I promise you, he would be, uh, saying something different, but it's taken a while for even the leadership to recognize how significant and how critical information security competency is. It often takes, unfortunately, it takes government mandates, it takes legislation to get the organizational commitment that is necessary. And uh, whichever way it is, uh, the sooner it happens, the better. And as you and I know, uh, the tone has to be set at the top. So it's, if there's- And if it we does. take
2: that, so and if we take that logically back and forward as we've been conducting this conversation, uh, governments uh, are legislating to the point where they're they're requiring uh, critical infrastructure executives to um, do something about situational awareness. They need it's part of a defence strategy now, um, and and governments are clearly saying if you're not educating yourself and if you're not doing that which is required we will come in through some sort of regulatory means and do it for you now that 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 sets off the bells in the belt in the boardroom because nobody wants a regulator coming around and talking about what you're doing or you're not doing so 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 to your point the uh, the initial conversation was it's not my business that's the that's the security department the follow-up conversation is i'm being made accountable. And these are intelligent people we're talking about. They do what they do very well. And when they understand that accountability is associated with their actions, then, then the mind shift changes. But until we we, we we start through educational legislation to apportion responsibility, it'll be a slow train coming.
1: Very true. And, you, you know, what, what worries me is, unfortunately, we... We have a proven track record of being reactive. Catastrophes have to happen before we get all serious about it and do things. We are right now going through this pandemic um, without trying to put blame on any organization. It's still by conjecture that we should have been better prepared given the investments we had in place, the resources we had in place, but we were unfortunately caught napping and we were reactive. And I worry that through breaches, we could have an even more severe catastrophe and I hope that never happens. So we can't afford to be reactive. I hope uh, whether it's a government, whether it's a private sector, they truly form this partnership, this global network, and they approach cybersecurity as one global team as opposed to taking a isolated uh, regional national approach. I think cybersecurity is such a challenge that has to be addressed holistically uh, with all the key players. Uh, coming together, banding together. And that uh, leads to the next uh, discussion I want to have with you is about the IoT Security Institute that you run. And it it comes to mind because of the global nature of the organization and how it encourages partnerships. Uh, And I I believe that we need more of that. Can you speak to the Institute, its offerings, its benefits?
2: Yes, Uh, and it's... um... It moves nicely from, we move nicely into it from your previous statement in that part of the smart technology sector is that we work with so many different people, cyber professionals originally, and to generalize somewhat, worked within their IT groups, they had a perimeter, and they ensured that the outside was out and the inside was in. With smart technologies, IoT, critical infrastructure. We see more and more cybersecurity professionals working with urban planners, engineers, um, in this, uh, industry leaders in an array of transport and other essential services sectors. So the the IoT really um, came about because we did research and we looked at there was no shortage of documentation or white papers that said, "Oh, look out! These are all the issues you need to be mindful of." So we we As an institute we started looking at a means by which that we could come up with a with a with a framework effectively a guideline that would provide a cyber and privacy principles um, to professionals that could be implemented from a base build through to build completion. So in other words it's a way of establishing a comprehensive set of guidelines to to help each of the supply chain participants to, uh, to specify, procure, install, integrate and maintain IoT security within smart technology ecosystems. Now that's a big statement, and but but what it's saying is there's it's there's a lot that happens in in a in a smart security IoT environment. So we we wrote a framework uh, through through global global um, um, contributions, and we utilize aspects of NIST and and Carnegie Mellon, and we put together a workflow methodology that allowed for cyber professionals to step through a series of domains. Now, all of this is available freely to download by the IoT Security Institute website, and I encourage people who are interested to do so. And it has a series of, let's call them domains or with associated activities that ensure all of those aspects of security by design are factored into the process and considered now it's not a standard that stipulates you will do it this way it 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 is it is very much consultative in nature because we're mindful that that a white paper is a white paper but a person tasked with doing a job uh, within an organization needs to have a methodology by which to work through and engage. So the framework is very much that. It, it, it identifies areas of concern. It qualifies them. It provides action plans. It's all done by a facilitation guide, which ultimately ends up in a final report. So what does that all mean? It, it, it says at the end of at the process, this is where we are. There, this is what we where we want to be, and these are all of the security and privacy aspects that we've had to take on board. Now, I won't go into elaboration, as I said, it's freely downloadable. But two of the components that are there might be privacy that might be one looking at the privacy aspects of it. Um, we also have a domain that covers um, building information and modelling. Um, building information modelling takes into account. Um, you know, the relationships that organisations have with third parties and providers. So if you're looking at um, a particularly critical infrastructure that, that relies on a third party, what are the security controls, information flows, all the security components in that. There's pointless you having a, a moat and a 50-foot wall around your organisation when you're buying blueprints for... Um, an HVAC system, or, or, or some other aspect, or some sort of design principle from a third party that's working out of a, a shared office. I mean, we know where the, where the criminals are going to go first, right? So that's that's. I mean, I'm a little bit off track there, but but what I'm saying is that that that's an example of the process. So it may not be applicable in your instance, but it may be applicable in someone else's. And finally. Um, And finally, it it works with other standards. So it's not exclusive. If you wish to utilize the framework and incorporate other aspects of standards that may be applicable to your organization, you're certainly capable to do so. But I think finally, the the whole point is to provide a, a guideline, a methodology workflow that allows cyber professionals to work through a series of challenges, let's
1: say. Appreciate that. Thanks. As I think about frameworks, and there are several of them out there, I think you put it rather well that frameworks are not meant to be followed blindly. They are meant to be contextualized. They are meant to be looked at from the perspective of the organization, the organization culture. they meant to be compared with other frameworks, but it definitely offers um, an excellent starting point, a checklist, uh, a baseline to help organizations uh, kind of shore up their defenses, you know, you mentioned about uh, uh, about vendors uh, buying HVAC devices from vendors. The, one of the breaches that come to mind is the Target breach. Yes, of course. And the, <laughs> and the hackers were able to get in by compromising um, one of the, the one of one of Target's business partners, and that's Absolutely. what's what's making. Our environment uh, so difficult to secure because we are no longer talking about an individual organization. We are talking about the organization and its network of partners, the supply chain, and and so therefore, unless every organization has the right security posture, it's going to be a challenge because there's always going to be vulnerabilities. You know, this you know today we are talking about vulnerabilities associated with IoT devices. I've had several conversations about vulnerabilities uh, where people are the focus, but uh, but people are also part of the buying process of IoT devices. People are part of the implementation process of the IoT devices. So just like you said earlier, you just can't focus on the technology. You have to focus on the other aspects, the governance aspect, the people, the process. Well,
2: Exactly right, and you make a very good point here. Numerous examples come to mind. A, a, a transport company moving um, refrigerated content around the country is is being you know, temperatures are being communicated, routes are being commuted, communicated, and and beyond the company's control. I mean, that's their solution. That's the that's the how they operate. But third parties who who potentially support those IoT devices, who who, who manage and so forth, how secure are they? Because if they're compromised and and it's it's unknown for a period of time. That's a direct impact upon the company. I mean, if 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 things are not going right in that context, if you look at sustainability within buildings, lighting is a very costly aspect of doing business. Um, that that is a very critical area that 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 touches the bottom line. Again, dependency against third parties potentially who are supporting that in some shape or form. So so when when conducting, if we were to look at the framework, we would say um, there's a very strong, you know, there's an IOT device checklist incorporated within that, that, that comes to points we spoke earlier. But there's also a whole lot of other security practices. There might be uh, IP involved. And I've, I, I and I'd just like to touch on this if I have a minute. I see that, you know, as we have buildings that are certified for um, fire and water damage, I envisage that in the near future we will have buildings that are certified for cybersecurity, and people say, "Well, why, why is that?" You know, because remember, IP is one of the, the greatest things you can have, and if, if that's stolen from you, then then you potentially lose your business, your organisation goes down. So you could spend millions and millions of dollars in R and D to come up with something which is innovative and progressive, have it stolen. Re-bagged, re-badged and sold it at one-fifth of the cost because that organization that stole it or perhaps the the organizational crime unit that stole it and, and moved it on uh, didn't have any of the rd costs so when we're talking about this we're not we're talking about so many levels of interaction so when i say the cyber safe building if you were to take an office in some building in, in downtown um, today, you probably wouldn't think about it. You think, "Oh, I've got you know, I've got encryption, I've got HTTP." But there are all the aspects of a smart building that play into that into this interconnected world that needs to be factored into your decision. And how are you going to factor that into your decision? Organizations or corporations or buildings or precincts are going to smart certify their building to a certain rating, so that certain companies will feel comfortable doing business within that within that uh, within that building. So this thing just keeps unfolding, Dave. It depends how you want to look at it. But again, it's another consideration of cybersecurity, as you said, is everyone's concern. But it impacts us on so many levels that that um, potentially um, we're not considering
1: as much as we should. And, and, you know, that's precisely why I'm also very big on um, cybersecurity drills. Uh, we have fire drills. That's very popular. But I'm not sure we have information security bills at that level or at that scale. And I think uh, whether it's uh, implementing smart devices, whether it's expanding your smart supply chain, you have to constantly test to assess where the vulnerabilities are. Uh, again, easier, set, easier said than done. Uh, many organizations do tabletop exercises. I'd say something is better than nothing. But it has to be part of the organizational consciousness. It has to be part of the organizational governance uh, infrastructure or governance design uh, where there has to be constant testing. You, know, uh, you cannot, again, leave things to chance. Like you said, uh, we will uh, be adopting these smart devices. There's no going back. We will enable our supply chains. There's no going back but we have to have that security layer in place and we have to constantly test to assure we have the level of robustness that we desire. So so this has been a a fabulous discussion. Um, I'd like to give you the opportunity to close it out with some key messages for our listeners. As you know, um, our listeners range from business leaders, cybersecurity professionals, students, teachers, so... You have a lot of people to potentially influence here.
2: Well, I'd like to sort of break it down on a couple of things that we're involved with. Obviously, the first is the free download of the IoTSI framework. Now, that can be, as I said, freely downloaded and applied and dissected as, as individuals or organizations see fit. Part of what we did, though, was you know, very much with an understanding of how the real world works, is that. Part of the IOTSI is also a educational arm or the educational initiative, which is the SCISP campus. Now, the SCISP campus provides cyber certification for the next generation of cyber professional, covering a lot of what we discussed, you know, talking about all of that. Involvement and industrial control systems and the convergence of IT and OT and things we haven't touched on today, but that I'm sure are well known by your audience. So what we do there, we have a series of certification programs that provide, you know, the future cyber professional the opportunity to take all of this on board and and take this much sought after skill set now, as obviously as we progress, and and and, and receive some some very. Um, real world training as well as good academic uplift as to how to apply that so that's the aspect of of the educational arm of that i mean we we also have the the opportunity for people to join the IOTSI and network and be part of that so if they wish to sort of bump heads and exchange ideas that's certainly worth it we're also very much a um a believer in um, in supporting uh, up-and-coming cyber professionals and and we we also have scholarships through the SS campus. Uh, We've recently entered into a scholarship with um, WAMSI Latin America, which is uh, an organization that um, facilitates uh, inclusion of more women into cyber and and, and to to make it much more of an inclusive uh, industry. And uh, we're very very proud to be part of that. We've also launched a scholarship program for African women, and we're trying to work that through the campus as well. And finally, without too much um, uh, going on about things um we also have you know part of our involvement is you know what you were talking about is we we're working with companies organizations that are involved in the very nature of cybersecurity services and so forth and our ss campus provides authorized training partnerships with these organizations which you know if i give you an example you know um one of ours is a wellness tech group which is a leading smart technology service provider in the public lighting infrastructure and and other services and and their brand, Iris Sentinel is their cybersecurity unit. And they're one of the campus authorized training partners. So the objective there is, they take their cybersecurity suite of services, but they also provide training and certification where required or wanted by their clients so that they leave something behind so that the people within the organization have the smart technology, smart cyber skills. So that's a bit of a roundup, but, um, you know, I welcome everybody to, to go to the website and you get a lot more information about all of that. Um, and uh, if you have any questions, of course, you can always reach out through the various channels.
1: Fantastic. Um, Alan, that was great. Uh, I'd like to commend you for running this uh nonprofit organization, um, we can do with all the help, the cybersecurity community, I mean, and why the cybersecurity community, the global community, we could do all, with all the help. And I would encourage uh, the listeners in their respective capacities to become, or to be more security conscious, uh, never to leave anything to chance, explore and leverage the best possible resources out there, constantly reflect, examine, analyze possibilities, because these efforts are all well worth it. Because if you don't do that, the consequences can be very, very undesirable. So once again, uh, thanks for talking to uh, my listeners, talking to me. Uh, It's been a pleasure, Alan, and hope to bring you back again sometime.
2: Thank you very much, uh, Dave. It's been a pleasure. I thoroughly enjoyed it.
1: A special thanks to Alan Mihalik for his time and insights. If you liked what you heard, please leave the podcast a rating and share it with your network. Also, subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.
0: The information contained in this podcast is for general guidance only. The discussants assume no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained in this podcast is provided on an as-is basis, with no guarantee of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. The opinions and recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of the discussants and not of any organization.